Thank you, Tanner, for reading our scripture tonight. We're going to be looking at the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians as we think about how great it is to be a Christian. Before we begin our study tonight, I do want to just take this opportunity to welcome each of you again to our services. We're so glad that you're here tonight. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us. We're glad that our young folks made it back safe and sound. I saw Jared somewhere. I don't know where he is now, but anyway, I know they're back, and so that's great, and I hope everyone had a good time. Tonight, as we look at Philippians chapter 4, we want to talk about how great it is to be a child of God. And there are a lot of blessings that we can enjoy in life. And there are a lot of folks that have been immensely blessed materially, physically, mentally, athletically, but to be blessed spiritually, to be a child of God. Think about all of the devastating things that can happen to those of us that belong to the human family. I think about people that are in Christ, and they're battling trials, but they can always say, I'm a Christian. They're battling temptation, but they can say, I'm a Christian. They're battling adversity, but I'm a Christian. They're battling the loss of a loved one, but I'm a Christian. I'm going to tell you what, if you're not a Christian, you're missing out on the greatest life known to man. I want us tonight to just talk for a minute or two about some of the blessings of being a Christian because I believe that Paul in chapter 4 talks about some of the unique blessings, intrinsic blessings that we have in Christ. If you go back and you look at chapter 1, Paul would say in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And I think what Paul was saying here is, If I'm alive here on planet earth, then my life, it's all about Christ. If I die, I go to be with Christ. And so you know what the bottom line? I win either way. And those of us that belong to the family of God, we ought to view ourselves as winners. Because you see, if we live here on planet earth, we live for Christ. If we die, we depart to be with Christ. And Paul said, that's far better. So you win either way. So tonight as we think about how great it is to be a child of God, I want to begin by talking about the fact that those of us that belong to the body of Christ, we are unique in the sense that the Lord has secured us. In other words, we have a sense of security unknown to people in the world. How do I know that? Well, Listen, if you would, to Paul in Philippians chapter 4. In chapter 4, of course, he's writing to Christians in Philippi. And first of all, let me just point out that we are secure because we belong to the Lord. Paul is writing to the saints in Philippi, according to chapter 1, verse 1. Those who are saints, they belong to God. They've been set apart unto God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, the Hebrew writer said, To the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Those of us that are Christians, we are the firstborn. You can go back and you can look at the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 13. The firstborn, God said, it is mine. 
And so if you are a child of God, you belong to the Lord. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, said, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, which you have from God? He said, You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. And then he said, Which are God's? So we belong to God. We are His possession. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 9 that we are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And the idea is He possesses us. We belong to Him. But then not only do we belong to the Lord, but the Bible says that our names are in the book of the Lord. In verse 3, Paul is writing... To the Christians in Philippi, as I mentioned a moment ago, and he speaks of those whose names are in the book of life, that heavenly register. Again, if you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, the writer said to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. That means when you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, God put your name in the book of life. As a faithful child of God, your name is in that book. You remember in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, when Jesus said to the disciples, rejoice, and why? He said, because your names are written in heaven. Now, we may live in total obscurity in the world in which we live. And if you were to look at, at life by way of a world stage, we may feel alone isolated. It may be the case that we feel as if no one knows anything about us. Let me tell you, let me tell you what, God knows about you. God knows about you. As a matter of fact, Jesus said the very hairs of your head are numbered. And as a child of God, God has put your name in the Lamb's book of life. In Revelation chapter 20, John talked about that great and final day. He said he saw God sitting upon the throne. And in that context, he said the books will be opened. And then he talked about another book, which is the book of life. And so if you're a child of God, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And how grateful you ought to be for that. And so to know that we have security in Christ... You know, Paul, in writing to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, said that those of us that are Christians, we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. We may feel as if we lack security in our country today. Maybe from a national vantage point, I know that many of us sometimes feel insecure about a lot of different things in life. But listen, if you're a child of God, you have security. As long as you strive to walk within the narrow pathway, your name will remain in the book of life. And to know that one day, God will bestow on you the crown of life, as Jesus talked about in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. So Stephanos, the victor's crown. James said in James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. There's a second reason why I believe it's great to be a Christian. 
not only because the Lord secures us, but when I read the Scriptures, I find out that the Lord supports us. There are two ways that I believe, at least two ways, that God supports us. Number one, He supports us with His presence. Look, if you would, at what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all. And then he said, the Lord is at hand. I think what Paul was saying there is that God is close by. He's near. Now, we talk about the Lord supporting us with his presence. Go back and look at the Old Testament for a minute. You remember the book of Joshua? In Joshua chapter 1, God announced to his servant Joshua that Moses was dead. Moses was this great spiritual leader among the Israelite people. He was the leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. And in chapter 1, verse 5, God said to Joshua, He said, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you drop down and look at verse 9 of Joshua chapter 1, God said, Have I not commanded you? He said, Be of be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid or dismayed. He said, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now just think about that for a minute. Here is Joshua assuming the role of a leader among the children of God. And they've got to go into the promised land. And guess what? They're going to go in under the direction of Joshua. And God's saying, look, you're going to be the leader, and I'm going to be with you wherever you go. Do we not have that same promise today, wherever we go? Remember the song we sing, Anywhere with Jesus I Can Safely Go? Why is that? Because the Lord is with us wherever we go. The Hebrew writer cited Joshua chapter 1 and chapter 13, and he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. And then he asked the question, what shall man do unto me? Think about that for a minute. There's nowhere that you go in this life that the Lord is not with you. And let's just say that life comes to an end. Is it not the case that the Lord will be with you then? You remember what Paul said a minute ago? For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ is far better. The psalmist in Psalm 23 verse 4, David said, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And why is that? He said, because you are with me. So God's with us in life. He's with us in death. Let me tell you what, it's great to be a Christian. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they don't have, they don't have that, that kind of security and they don't have that kind of support. There's also another way that the Lord supports us and that is through our prayers. Look, if you would, at verse 6. Listen to what Paul said in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Well, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? Paul's saying, don't worry about anything. Easier said than done, isn't it? Remember, Jesus asked the question in Matthew chapter 6, why do you worry? In that same context, he said, do not worry three times. And here's the apostle Paul. Paul's writing by... Inspiration, he's writing the commandments of God according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And Paul said, be anxious for nothing. 
But he said, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. As a child of God, we have the assurance of prayer. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Jesus taught in Luke 18, 1, that men ought to always pray and not faint, not be discouraged. Paul said, pray without ceasing. And let me tell you what, Paul practiced what he preached. Go back and read Philippians chapter 1. And the thing that stands out to me is here's the apostle Paul, and in his opening address to these saints, you know what he said? Praying for them. Praying for them. We have the ear of Almighty God, the one that created the world, that sustains this world. There are some folks in our world today, they have access to, to very high-powered people. There's not a black book in this country or in this world that supersedes the presence of God and the fact that as a child of God, we can approach His throne in prayer. We can go before Almighty God and we have the assurance that He hears our prayers. As a matter of fact, Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. And listen, if you would, to this promise in verse 7. Paul said, In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, listen to him, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You ever had a restless night? Couldn't sleep? You ever have... You ever have times in life when you can't eat? You can't think clearly? What do you do? How do you, how do you deal with it? Paul said, let me tell you what, the antidote for anxiety, the antidote for difficulties in life and the burdens of life, you turn to God because there is a built-in support system. I want to ask you a question. Do you think God answers prayer? I think He does. There is the exhortation to pray, but there is the effectiveness of prayer. Somebody told me about a member of the church on one occasion. And this person said that, I think he was talking about prayer. At least the, the person telling me this was, was talking about prayer. And somebody spoke up and said, you know, our prayers go no higher than the ceiling. And, and this fellow said he was just stunned. Well, let me tell you what. Here's what James said. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. To know that God hears our prayers and responds accordingly. So we have that kind of support. I don't care what time of day or night it might be. I don't care what day of the week it might be. Think about Think about some businesses. Some businesses are not open 24-7, are they? There are medical personnel. They're not available 24-7. God is available 24-7. Year-round. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. You just turn to God. The Bible says not only will God secure us, but He will support us. Let me give you a third Reason why I believe it's great to be a Christian, why everybody ought to want to be a Christian. 
And that is because the Lord can satisfy us. There are a lot of people in our world today, they're looking for heaven on earth. And, and there are a lot of folks that have the idea that if they could somehow get this job or this position, or if they could get this degree, or buy that car, or have this home, or own these clothes, or whatever, they'll be happy. Happiness, satisfaction, does not come in the form of material things, per se. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said beginning in verse 10, chapter 4. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul, I think, is saying, look, if there's one lesson I've learned in life, it is I have learned that the key to a satisfied life is learning to be content. Paul could say, look, I'm content. I may have a lot. I'm content. I may not have anything. I'm content. What's the basis of that contentment? The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. He said, we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. But having food and clothing, we shall therewith be content. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The things of this life do not necessarily satisfy... How many people in the world today think, you know what, if I just had fame, I'd be happy? Or if I had, if I had a lot of money, I'd be happy? Or if I had this position in life, I'd be happy? There are a lot of famous people, a lot of wealthy people, a lot of quote-unquote successful business people, professional athletes. From the vantage point of the world, they have it all. But you know what? Deep down inside, many of those people are miserable. I, like probably many of you, was stunned to hear the news that Robin Williams had taken his life. I began to read about what some people said about him. And they talked about how dark his view of life was. I mean, here's a guy that was successful. I mean, he had fame, he had money, he had everything. But he wasn't happy. At least, wasn't, wasn't desiring to live. And so he took his life. Howard Hughes. Some of you probably remember Howard Hughes. He was a global giant. He had everything, and yet in the latter part of his life, he lived as a recluse. He was extremely paranoid. And here's this guy that had the world at his fingertips, and he died a miserable man. 
Solomon said, He that loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Doesn't matter how much you make, you'll never be satisfied. Material things can't do that. But Paul said, Godliness with contentment is great gain. In John chapter 6, Jesus identified himself as the bread of life. And I think one of the things that he was saying to the people of his day is, you can be satisfied in me. He told them, do not labor for the meat that perishes. If only people in our world could understand, there's a better way to live, a greater way to live. You can be satisfied. And the only way that you can be truly satisfied, it's in the Lord. Let me give you a fourth reason why I believe it's so great to be a Christian. And that is because the Lord will strengthen us. Listen to what Paul said in verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't think Paul's saying here that we're going to be Superman. I don't think that's what he's trying to convey. But I do think that what he is saying is that whatever we face in this life, whatever obstacle, whatever burden, whatever trial, whatever mountain we're climbing, the Lord will strengthen us. He'll be with us. So, he'll strengthen us, number one, in times of temptation. You ever tempted in life? Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary of the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Paul would say, give no place to the devil. The devil is always lurking. And we're confronted with temptation on a regular basis. But there's a nugget found, a nugget of truth found in Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 18. Where the writer said, speaking of Christ, in that he himself hath been tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. You mean to tell me that the Lord can strengthen me in times of temptation? Yes. You remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, There is no temptation taken you, but such as man is able to bear. But God is faithful, who will with the temptation make also a way of escape. The Lord will get us through the temptations of life. He'll strengthen us. The Lord wants us to be in heaven, doesn't He? God has a vested interest in every one of us. He sent His Son to die for us. And He has given us every tool we need to live faithfully here upon planet Earth. So He will strengthen us in times of temptation. And then secondly, He will strengthen us in times of trial. Do you know where Paul was when he wrote to the church at Philippi? He was in prison. The time was about A.D. 62. Paul not only wrote the book of Philippians from prison, but he penned three other epistles. And Paul knew what he was talking about with regard to trials. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul said that he had a thorn in the flesh. He announced that three times he had besought the Lord to remove that thorn in the flesh. And you know what the Lord said? My grace is sufficient for you. I think what he was saying is, Paul, you have everything you need because I'm with you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. 
If you live long enough, you're going to face some trials in this life. Somebody said on one occasion, there are three types of people. People that are about to have trials, people that are in the midst of trials, and people that are coming out of trials. So pick your poison. But the bottom line is, the Lord will be with us. I love the words of the psalmist in Psalm 46 verse 1 when he said, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help to those in trouble. God's a refuge, and he'll get you through whatever you're facing in this life. As Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens, strengthens me. So tonight, I want to say that this is by no means an exhaustive list of why it's great to be a Christian. But I believe we have four rock-solid reasons why it's great to be a child of God. And maybe it's the case that because we've lived in America, and many of us have grown up in the church, maybe it's the case that, that we really haven't stopped and just deeply thought about what a great thing it is to be a child of God. It may be the case that sometimes we have the Lord in our head, but not in our heart. And by that I mean, we know a lot of information, but there is a disconnect between what we know and that passion that ought to be within, that love for the Lord. Look at the life of Paul. Paul had it. Everything about Paul, Christ-centered. And so, my prayer for you, my prayer for all of us, that we will live a Christ-centered life, that we will understand what a great blessing it is to be a child of God, and because it's so great, we'll do our best to tell others about it. Because you see, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The only way our friends and neighbors and family members are going to hear about the gospel is if we tell them. So we got a job to do. And you know what? If you have great news, you don't want to keep it to yourself, do you? Sometimes I think the church is the best kept secret in the world. shouldn't be that way. So let's say you're not a Christian tonight. What would you need to do? Well, do what they did in the first century. Put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus, the Bible says, is God's only begotten Son. John chapter 3, verse 16. Do you believe that? That He is the only one of His kind? Would you be willing to repent, to give up a life of sin, to turn from the ways of the world, as Peter said and instructed in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, to those on Pentecost Day? Would you be willing to confess with your mouth Jesus as the Son of God? I don't know why you would be hesitant to do that. And then to be immersed in a watery grave of baptism. To rise to walk in newness of life. To know that you're now a child of God. You're a part of the body of Christ. You're among the saved, the redeemed. And then to be faithful until death. If you haven't done that, I want to urge you tonight to do so. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, could we pray with you and for you? You know, James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you tonight. 
We'd be more than honored to bow our heads in prayer to Almighty God on your behalf. Would you come as we stand and sing?